Today, we're going to be continuing our series on respect and honor. And today, we are going to be talking about all those mean, cruel people in your life who exercise unjust authority over you. All those mean old bosses. All those spouses. And even all those big sisters. But first to understand what the Bible says about harsh authority, you have to understand that Jesus came to this earth to establish an upside-down kingdom. You have to understand that, that the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that you go up in by first going down. The kingdom of God is the only kingdom that you win by losing. And what I mean by that is the way that we live is first by dying. It's a kingdom of paradoxes. It's a kingdom of opposites. I remember there was a professor of psychology, and he asked a student from, who happened to be from the state of Oklahoma, he said, what's the opposite of joy? And the young lady said, sadness. Well, then he asked a student from Texas, what's the opposite of woe? And the young man said, well, sir, I believe that would be giddy up. <laughs> opposites. But you see, Jesus offers us an ironic world to the world that we live in every day. It's a kingdom of the reverse. It's a world where the widows are more powerful than kings. And the widow's might is greater than the wealth of Jeff Bezos. The message of Jesus Christ isn't to come and live. It's a message to come and die and then to be reborn in him. But you see, society has taken the gospel and has changed it around to act as if Jesus is just a value added to my life that I can take or leave just like if I add sugar to my tea or not. And you see, folks, if that's what I'm preaching, then I am not preaching Jesus. And if that's what you and I are living, we are not living Jesus. Because he didn't come just to make our life better. He came to make dead people alive. He came to change the way that we live our lives, to change the way we think about life, and to make the last be the first. It's a kingdom of opposites. And friend, we fail to live the life that he has called us to live if it doesn't change the way that we view this life. Because if we view this life the same way the world does, we've missed out on what Jesus has called us to do. Because we're supposed to be practitioners of the reverse. And what that means is we ought to be willing to give when really we need to keep. We ought to be willing to serve when we have the need to be served. You see, Jesus refused to throw a stone at an adulterous woman, but yet he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Roman Empire. He stared Caiaphas in the eye and told him how the cow eats a cabbage, as my dad used to say, but yet he was the meekest man who ever lived. It's an upside-down life, but it's the only life that is really worth living. And now, if you don't understand that, you will never understand the call of Christ to submission to authority. And especially submission to harsh and cruel authority that has a way of bringing honor to God. It's an upside-down kingdom. And you and I are called to be practitioners of the reverse. 
Now, the Bible speaks of two types of persecution. There's a self-inflicted form of persecution that you and I bring on ourselves, and then there is persecution for righteousness' sake. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? If you brought it on yourself, Peter says, just deal with it. In other words, there wasn't any righteousness because of the persecution I endured when my mom used to beat me for lying to her. After all, I was lying. For the first 12 years of my life, I thought my name should have been Ludwig for the way I got beat all the time. Thought I was a drum. And so you endure it, but there's no reward for submitting to the punishment that you brought on yourself. It's a self-inflicted punishment or persecution. But then there's also persecution for righteousness' sake. Let me paraphrase what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters, not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake when you are treated badly for no good reason. There's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you are treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. In spite of ungodly and unfair authority over our life, we're instructed to continue to be a good worker, to be a good student, to be a good citizen, and to be a good church member. And so even when I am dishonored with unfair or unjust treatment, I'm still supposed to be a good little brother. Okay, so you stand up and interrupt me when you're up here, but you don't, you don't say amen to that. Oh, now she's trying to be quiet. That's a first. But you see, the honor that I give to someone who has treated me unfairly, according to the word of God, is the highest form of honor that I could possibly offer. Because the Bible says that is what counts with God. And so it takes a great degree of submission to God to continuing honoring those who have mistreated us. But come on, let's be honest. It's just you and me. We're having tea, right? We're visiting with each other. You know, no one else here. I mean, it's hard to turn the other cheek, isn't it? I mean, that is a hard thing to do. When I first learned to turn, about turning the other cheek, I tried it on my sister to see if she had learned it. She hadn't. Remember I told you my name was Ludwig? I got beat. But you know, as a Christian, we like to remind ourselves that I'm free and I have liberty in Christ. Or as an American citizen, we like to say, I live in a free country. I have my rights. And what that has turned into today is I don't have to put up with this anymore. But friend, you need to understand that God's definition of freedom and liberty is different than the Western mindset of freedom and liberty. And all through the writings of the Apostle Paul, he says, while I am free, because I am a Roman citizen, and Rome is the ruler of the world at that time, while I am free, I have chosen to make myself a bond slave. I am not my own. I am bought with a price. And while I am free, I submit myself to a greater authority. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. 
You have liberty, but he says only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And so, of course, it is possible for you to demand your rights. It's possible that you can declare your freedom. But in that freedom, you as a Christian are not out from under God's authority. I told you a few weeks ago, the Bill of Rights does not take preeminence over God's Word. And when you became a Christian, you began a journey of attempting to be like Jesus. And Jesus, by example, taught us how to respond to ungodly, unfair, unjust authority in our life. Again, we're looking in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It was to this that God called you. For Christ himself suffered for you and left you an example so that you would follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No one ever heard a lie come from his lips. When he was insulted, he did not answer back with an insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But yet he placed his hopes in God who would be his righteous judge. Listen, when Jesus was mistreated, he never lifted a finger. He never said a negative word. And so by submitting to the unfair and ungodly authority and choosing not to retaliate, Jesus left it in the hands of God so his father could fight his battles for him. And you see, ladies and gentlemen, that is the example that Jesus left for us to follow. Remember we talked about Romans chapter 13, verse 1, that says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And all the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, you may, be, you, know, you may be thinking, say, okay, Mike, I, yeah, I get that. I hear what that's saying, but I just don't understand. I just do not understand how a good and loving God can ask me to submit to that dirty so-and-so that I work for. I just don't get it. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. And he was a man who cruelly treated the descendants of Abraham, God's covenant people, God's chosen people. He oppressed them, he beat them, he killed their children. And yet, according to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, Pharaoh received his authority from God. God said, but indeed for this purpose, I have raised you up. Speaking to Pharaoh that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. You have to remember God's ways are, are not our ways. And in God's upside down reverse thinking culture, he raised up the ungodly Pharaoh so that God could show his power through Pharaoh to the world. And maybe God wants to show his power through your submission to that dirty, no good so-and-so that you work for. Another king, King, ne king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he destroyed Judah, he plundered the temple, he destroyed Jerusalem, and even gouged out the king of Judah's eyes. An evil, wicked man. And yet God says in Jeremiah 43.10, the Lord says, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And will set his throne above these stones which I have hidden. 
God calls him my servant. God says, I'm going to set his throne, which means I will establish this evil tyrant. Your boss doesn't sound so bad now, does he? And then you have King Saul. According to the scripture, God established even this insecure, crazy madman to be Israel's first king. Israel said, we want a king. We want to be like everyone else. Okay, they got crazy old Saul. Be careful what you ask for. But later in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, God says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So you see, God established Saul for a while, but because Saul rebelled, well, none of his heirs ever saw the throne. Then look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. But yet, before David ever became king, God placed David under the authority of King Saul. Crazy madman. Now Saul was kind to David at first because David served Saul's purposes. But because of the favor and the anointing on David's life, the blessings of God began to occur. And David's blessings began to cause this insecure king to worry about his own authority. And in Saul's mind, David became a threat to his throne. So Saul wanted to kill David. So David had to flee for his life. And for 14 years, David was running for his life, living in caves and in foreign lands, all because there was an insecure authority that was afraid David was going to take his place. David lived in exile. He couldn't go home to visit his family. All because God had placed him under the authority of a harsh, unreasonable man. Well, then we see in Samuel chapter 24, we see Saul and his troops tracking David to the wilderness of En Gedi. Well, Saul has to take care of business. In other words, he has to go to the bathroom. Hey, read it. It's in the book, man. The Bible doesn't hold anything back. I had to take a leak. <laughs> I'm just glad I don't have to take a leak right now. So Saul has to relieve himself, and he just so happens to go into the same cave where David is hiding. What are the chances? And David's men says, David, here's your chance. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 4. The men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, good news, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. But then, David said, but then the Bible says David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe, which was on the ground. And I'm sure David's men were thinking, Come on, man. It's self-defense. What are you doing? Take him out. But you see, that's human logic. That's not God's logic. And what's interesting is that David became convicted for even touching the corner of the king's robe and dishonoring God's delegated authority in his life. Verse 5 says, Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And David said to his men, The Lord forbid 
that I should do this thing to my master, seeing that he is the anointed, or in other words, the delegated authority of the Lord. Well, so Saul leaves the cave, got finished with his business. And later David, David called to him from far off and he says, my Lord, the king. And then David bowed down his face to the earth. Even though it's the man that's pursuing him and trying to take his life, David still submits to his authority. Verse 11, David shows Saul the piece of the robe and says, I have not sinned against you. King, I am no threat to your throne. And as an act of honoring the delegated authority in his life, if there was any need for vengeance, David trusted God to carry it out. And so Saul was amazed. Saul was amazed at David's act of honor. And Saul said, you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. And Saul says, now I know that you will surely be king. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? All's All's well that ends well, right? Happy ending, a tremendous load has been lifted off David. He's proven himself as insecure king. And so God had delivered David so now he can live in peace and everybody just lives happily ever after. Not so fast, young Skywalker. I don't think so. As with insecure people, Saul again begins to stew and boil. And as his insecurity in his heart took over again, his anger burned, and Saul once again gathered his troops, and once more he began to pursue David with all of his strength and all of his might. I mean, can you imagine? David had to be crushed. All he had ever done was honor Saul, and yet Saul is still trying to kill him. Well, fast forward two chapters to 1 Samuel chapter 26. In the meantime, chapter 25, David has time to find himself another wife, but that doesn't matter to this story today. 1 Samuel chapter 26, Saul has followed David to the wilderness of Ziph. And he comes up and finds Saul and his men sleeping. And one of David's soldiers, Abishai, says to David in verse 8, Today is your lucky day again. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now, therefore, I understand, David, you don't want to do it. Okay. But therefore, let me please strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. He says, David, if you'll just give me the chance. Daddy, if you'll just give me the green light, you'll never have to worry about this guy again. Well, now you had to imagine that the human side of David loved that idea. He's thinking this wicked king has stolen my reputation by telling the nation that I'm a traitor. He's stolen my privileges as a son in my father's house and as a citizen of Israel. He has stolen my wife and given her to another man. What more justification do I need? And then adding fuel to the fire, all those around him were saying, David, why are you hesitating? His men were saying, God has given you this moment to seek your revenge. Execute this madman. They said, David, you've already been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. This is totally self-defense. And remember, David, remember this. Not only is he trying to kill you, but Saul killed 85 priests of Nob, their wives and their babies, just because they gave you some bread and water. 
Why in the world do you think God put him in a deep sleep other than so you could deliver this nation from this wicked king? I mean, it's a pretty open and shut case to our way of thinking. And you see, the thing is, David says no again, and by human thinking, David still appears to be weak, and he appears to be a sissy because he wouldn't draw the sword. But remember, this is the foundation of God's upside-down kingdom. When you appear the weakest to those around you, that's when you are the strongest in the spiritual world because Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's the law of the upside-down kingdom of God. 1 Samuel 26, verse 9, David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Well, you know, that just, there's just a glaring question screaming at me. Why would God make it so convenient for David to take Saul out, not just once, but twice? I mean, David has already been told he's going to be the next king, so why, don't, why doesn't he use this opportunity? Well, I'll tell you why, because he understands the word of God. David understands that when you honor God's delegated authority, that God will honor you. He realized that Saul, no matter how wicked he was, was still God's delegated authority in the world. And David chose to honor God by honoring Saul. He chose to be a practitioner of the reverse. So again, why did God serve Saul to David on a silver platter? To test the heart of a future king. To test the heart of a future king. Do you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about life-defining moments? I know you weren't here, Annette, so I'm going to explain what that was. Bring, I'm going to bring you up to speed. Life-defining moments are those moments that come and go, and you never realize that they were such a big deal or that they were so important until we look back on them and say, man, I sure wish I would have known that decision was going to make this much difference in my life. Those are life-defining moments. And see, if we don't develop a pattern of making the correct decision every day when the decisions are just basic, when the decisions aren't that big a deal, well, then we're going to come to a life-defining moment and we will end up making the wrong decision because there is not a pattern in our life of walking in obedience to God and living our life by His precepts instead of by what we feel or what society says. See, we haven't developed the habit of honoring His Word and making the right choices when no one's watching. See, throughout his life, David had developed a pattern of honoring God by honoring authority. When David first went to the palace as just a boy, he would play the harp for Saul. And a spirit would come over Saul, and Saul would throw spears at David. Wasn't quite the tip David was expecting, I'm sure. But anyway, 
Well, what we would do today, most of us, we would say, well, David should have thrown the spear back. Or in situations in our life, what would we say? We'd say, we need to call OSHA on them. I'm calling DHS. Or my personal favorite, because it's happened to me, uh, I'm going to turn them into the IRS. Twice I've had people turn me into the IRS. I, I had to pray through over that. I really did. Said some things I shouldn't have said. But anyway. You know, and what's funny about that, when you're not guilty, you shouldn't worry about it. But still, you just think about the IRS. Man, I mean, that's, that's like the worst there is. You know, that's like being tied up in a snake crawling up your pants leg. I mean, it's just <laughs> terrible. Now, now, I know, I know. I know, I know. None of us would do anything that extreme. No one would do anything that extreme. But, but, if someone in authority over us hurts our feelings or mistreats us, Well, we don't think twice about telling our friends what a dirty low life that, so, that no good so-and-so is, do we? We don't mind dragging their name through the mud. We don't, mind, we don't mind using the worst word that we use in our vocabulary and attribute it to them. And we certainly don't honor them. You see, people like Saul, they throw spears. And people like David dodge spears. And so, friend, you're going to have to decide and make a decision which one you're going to be. Are you going to be a Saul or are you going to be a David? And see, this was a test for the heart of a man whose heart was, was, was yearning after God. And so God is saying in this life-defining moment, are you really good enough to be the next king of Israel? Are you really good enough for me to establish my throne through you and on through your descendants? Yeah. And God tested David, and because David had established a pattern of honoring God in the past, when it came time to a life-defining moment, and even all those around him, the majority, his buddies, the herd, the guys he ran with, when they were saying, do it, David, you are justified, David said no because it defies the word of God. And David told Saul in 1 Samuel 26, verse 24, As your life was valued this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Friend, God will fight your battles if you let him. And see, this whole series has been about the reward that comes from giving honor. Friend, you have to understand, there is a reward to those who walk in obedience to God and His Word. 
We see in Psalm 89, we see a long list of blessings of God that came upon David's life because he went against conventional logic. He went against what others were telling him. He honored God and what God told him to do. As a result of that, God said in the greatest blessing he gave David, he said, I will establish your throne and because of your honor, there will always be someone from the line of David upon that throne. David lived the honor principle. If I honor what God has said over me, then in fact I am honoring God himself. And when I honor God, God will honor me. You say, yeah, Mike, okay, I understand that, but, but man, this person that's over me, they're wanting me to do things that are not right. They want me to lie. They want me to cheat. They want me to steal. What about that? Well, friend, listen to me. Harsh authority ends when submission to that authority results in breaking God's commands. Nowhere. Nowhere in the Bible are you required to submit to any authority that requires you to sin. So holiness has a line in the sand. And that's where it is. And that authority requires you to do something that is illegal, immoral, or sinful. So back to 1 Peter chapter 2, 18, where we started our journey together. Servants, you must obey your masters and always show respect to them. Do this, not only to those who are kind and thoughtful, but also to those who are cruel. I mean, so why would God command his children to submit to cruel authority? Why would God do that? Now, this may be hard for you to get your head around, but the reason he commands us to submit to harsh authority is for our own benefit. It's like the old saying your parents said, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. We don't believe it until, we're, until the shoes are changed and we're spanking our kids. Listen, our walk with Christ is to build character. Not just to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Not just to live on easy street. God expects us to mature and grow in Him so that other people can see the example that we live and learn from it. Remember, this is an upside-down kingdom. And some of the greatest lessons you will ever learn about leadership is from the most insecure, tyrannical dictators that you've ever interacted with. You can learn the most from the worst. See, because when I serve someone who's kind and they honor those underneath them and they have respect for their employees and those under them, I tend to take that authority for granted. But when I serve under those that abuse their authority in my life, well, hopefully I'm going to learn what not to do when God promotes me and I have people underneath me. So what can we learn from people that misuse their authority? It teaches me how to appreciate and honor God's authority over me. Because when I honor those who God has put over me, I am honoring God. And when I honor God, He will in turn honor me. Bow your heads with me if you would.
Now, I know there are people here today that are facing difficult situations. I joked about a harsh spouse, but that could be a legitimate situation. That, that you may be married and your spouse doesn't understand your faith, or there's just difficulty in your life, and, and your spouse is making your life tough. Then my heart goes out to some of you who are struggling, actually struggling with being mistreated on your job. And then you may be here today and you feel like politically, those in authority have completely let you down. And, and as you've listened to these messages, you know what we've been talking about is right because it's in the Bible, but yet it goes against how you feel. It goes against what you want to do because everything within you doesn't want you to do it. But you see, you have to understand that in just a few minutes when these altars are open and I invite you to come, that you, you'll have every reason to stay in your seat because that's how you feel. But friend, I want you to understand that this can be a new day. This can be a day of surrender in your life because today you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that you win by losing. You go down to go up. You get crucified with Christ so that you can live, and then it's not you that's going to live, but it's going to be Christ in you that is going to live. Friend, Jesus is telling you, let me be your banner. Let me go before you in your home. Let me go before you at your job. Let me go before you when you're at school. Hey, I'll even go before you if you have to go before the city council. I'll even go before you if you have to go to the IRS. God is saying, honor me even when it doesn't make sense. And see what I will do in your life. You know, I wonder how many blessings from God I've missed because of a negative word that I've spoken when I felt like I was unfairly treated. How many times have I tied God's hands when I took the situation into my own hands and rob God of the opportunity of honoring me because of my dishonoring words or thoughts or actions. See, today and in this whole series, God wants to do something deep down in my heart and he wants to do something deep down in your heart and he wants to do something in the heart of this church. Because as I've told you, I really believe that honor is the key to opening up heaven. And if we will establish honor in our lives, he will visit us. And he will visit this church. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord of your life, as your Lord and Savior, the greatest act of honor you could ever give God is to give him your life. Today, I urge you to surrender and let God's power and grace equip you to live an overcoming life. If you're here today and you're a prodigal and you're running from God, or if you're here and you've never known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to allow him and let him give you unspeakable joy in this life living opposite of the life that the world lives. So if you're here today, you have sin in your life and you need to be, and you need to be born again, would you raise your hand? 
whatever is going on, you just need to be saved today and need God's forgiveness. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Listen, folks, you live by dying. You win by losing. Is there anyone else? God is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's asking you to, write, to open the door and let him in. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would revolutionize our hearts. Lord, give us courage for each person who's here today. And Lord, I pray that, that these altars would be an altar of repentance and therefore they would become an altar of prayer and an altar of power. Lord, give grace to people who are being mistreated and use this message to encourage them to place their battle in your hands. Lord, I pray that you would honor us as we honor you and walk in your will. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.